Yeah. Oh my gosh, it feels like we've been working together a long time already. Um, just uh, connected to these guys really quickly. Um, and I'm really excited to the chance to get to serve with you guys. Um, I do have a preaching background, went to Bible college, went into ministry. Um, long story short, in and out of ministries in different ways. Um, preached for 10 years in Paragon. Um, and in October, resigned there under good terms. Um, to spend more time with my family, and uh, I, do, um, I do speak for a living during the week as well, and say not nearly as important things as I say on the weekends. Um, so uh, I have an obligation to the company that I work for um, for the next few years. They bought my company a couple years ago, and so it's not a possibility, um, at least in, in God's timing right now, not a possibility for me to come as your pastor, but man, did he open the door for me to come for the next few months. And I got to be honest, um, even better in a way as a preacher. Because here's the thing, I can say whatever God has laid on my heart with no fear of being fired. And <laughs> man, that, that puts, puts me in a really good place and in a really important place, and it puts you in a good place. And here, here's what I'm so excited about. I mean, standing here shoulder to shoulder to shoulder with these guys, um, which, man, I don't, feel, I don't feel like I have any business standing up here. And the truth is I don't. The only reason that any of us could stand in, in front of God today is just the grace that comes with Jesus. And what I believe about this church, you know, I installed this sound system 10 years ago, 8 years ago, something like that. I installed this video projector, part of my company, and um, I know this building. I know it better than some of you know this building. I've been in the attic or up above it, and I've been down below it, and I've been through all this place. And the truth is, I believe that God has big, big things for this place. Um, and I am just honored to get a chance to be a little part of it. So um, before we get started today, I, I'm, I'm excited about what I've got to say. But I, I want to give you a chance to take a deep breath. Um, and the reason I think this is so important is because this thing happens to us as humans, and especially as Christian people. Um, if we're not careful, what happens is we, we come out of this place and we feel clear. Right? I mean, there's some clarity. You come through that worship service. Thank you for that worship service this morning. You guys um, got me to the throne room this morning. I forgot I was preaching, and that's a big deal because I'm nervous, I can tell you. And, um, and there, you come out of this place with some clarity, but by the time you leave here, you go to Oak Charlie's for dinner or lunch, and you hit the Walmart. I hope you don't have to go to Walmart. I'm sorry if you do, but <laughs> if you, gotta, you go to Walmart, you leave Walmart, you're a little bit mad, and all of a sudden, this cloud just starts to cover your eyes. And if you're not careful, you begin to see the world the way people who haven't the hope that we have see it. You get this little gloss over your eyes. And if you're not careful, you begin to believe that your hope in life comes from your bank account or your 401k, from your retirement plan. If you're not careful, you fall into the lie that, that you're not good enough. If you're not careful that you see everything that comes in your future based on the mistakes you've made in your past. And that's the way the world sees it. And if you're not careful, you come in with that glossy, dirty vision. Even if you've got God in your life, you come in and you miss what He has for you because you're looking through the wrong, dirty lens. I've preached already this morning. I've been clear, and I still feel at times like that. So if you ever feel that way, you don't have to be at church to do this. Um, the Bible talks about um, God speaking in a still, small voice. And the reason he does that is not because he can't speak in a loud voice. He could wet your pants right now with his voice if he wanted to. That's not, the reason he chooses to speak in a still, small voice is so that you 
turn down the volume on everything else in your life. It's your choice. Right here, right now. What you hear from God really has nothing to do with me. It's all about where you put your heart in this moment. So before I preach every Sunday, we will do this. We will take a moment to get clear. We will get rid of the the fuzz that the world has caused, and we will ask God in a still, small voice to speak to us as we quiet the things in this room. Um, You'll hear it every Sunday. I hope you get to a point where you do this every moment of your life where you feel like you're seeing the world through the wrong lens. But I'm going to just give you about 30 seconds, 45 seconds to stop, be quiet. Some of you, that's the most you've had all week. Um, And just say, here's the cool thing about God. He sees what we're doing. He heard my illustration about the fuzziness in your eyes. And if you just say, God, clear my eyes, he'll know what you mean. And um, then we'll get moving together. 45 seconds, just, just between you and God. God, we give you this quiet. Quiet is hard for us. And in this moment, we choose you. If there's guilt in this room, would you remind that soul that guilt doesn't come from you? Conviction that leads to life change comes from you, but guilt does not. Would you remove it from our eyes? Anger. A lack of hope. A lack of peace. Would we see things the way you see things or as close as we can get to it today? God, will do our part. We'll clear our hearts, we'll clear our minds, we'll ask for this clarity, and then we will stagger away from this place with a word from the Creator. And not just a word, but an act. Give us something to do today. Because of what we hear in your Son's name. Amen. So, man behind the curtain, every sermon I preach, I'm going to do three things. I want you to think something Think something new or something old in a new way. I want you to feel something. That's why you're going to hear me tell stories about my son. You're going to hear me tell the stories about my own life. Um, All kinds of things. I want you to feel something. And then maybe the most important thing is I want you to do something. So if you take notes, if you don't take notes, that's okay. But if you do take notes, don't take notes on my points. Take notes on these three things. What did I hear today that was new? Or what did I hear old that I heard in a new way? What did I hear today that made me feel something, and what did I feel? Did I feel moved? Did I feel convicted? Did I feel empowered? What did I feel? And then finally, what am I going to do because of what God said today? If you can be in that place today, I would love for you over the next, while I'm here through October, if Lord willing, um, or into October, would love for you to get that every Sunday. And my, when I sit down to prepare a sermon, those are the three things I look for. I want to make sure that you have all three of those things I'm in the sermon. I'm hoping you hear that today. And today I'm really excited um, to tell you about um, the way that I, I've had sort of an epiphany over the last few years of my life. And, and I'll start by saying when my wife and I um, bought our first house, 
We could not afford it. We shouldn't have bought it, financially speaking. It was a terrible financial decision. Uh, the people in our life that were older than us called us house poor at the time, if you're familiar with that term. It just meant that we spent way disproportionate amount on the house than we should have. And it was a sheriff's sale. We, just Risha and I, just my wife and I, and we bought a, basically a five-bedroom house with a mother-in-law suite attached. It was just ridiculous purchase. We barely eked into the house financially. The bank just went, all right, you know, and we got in and we ate lunch and dinner on the floor because we could not buy any furniture. Some of you have had that same story. And as the spring came, I realized, oh, there's a lawn that I have to mow. I mean, there's this stuff coming up and it's my grass and we lived in a nice neighborhood and everybody else paid somebody or had nice mowers. So my wife and I did what, unfortunately, young married people do. We found a credit card and we went to Lowe's. And I bought my first lawnmower. Um, and up until that point, I'd mow yards, you know, when I was a kid. But there had been a point of time where I went through Bible college, and I just quit mowing. I just didn't spend much time with the mower. And I'd always use my dad's mower, which was a piece of junk, push mower. You know, you've been through that. And a heavy piece of junk that worked some of the time. And so when I went to go buy my own mower, I was expecting the same kind of a thing. Well, I got there, and man, there's all kinds of bells and whistles on these mowers. Um, and I basically bought whatever the store told me to buy, which meant I spent the most I could possibly spend on a push mower. And I got home, and man, I was so excited. My wife helped me put this thing together. <clears throat> and uh, finally got it put together, started it up, pulled first start, and thought, this is going to be great. And I got to tell you, it about killed me, push mowing my yard. And the more I pushed it, the more I thought, I am just fat and out of shape and I used to push mow five, six yards a day and make money in high school. And I can't believe I have gotten this out of shape. I got done mowing my yard. There's not even any hills in my yard. I got done mowing the yard. I came in and Risha said, how'd it go? I said, something's wrong with me. I'm going to have to go see a doctor. Something is wrong. I can't even breathe. I'm just so exhausted. I laid in bed the rest of the day. I was just shot. Came through the next weekend and I just, all weekend, I dreaded mowing that yard. Friday night, I went to bed thinking, I can't believe I got to mow this yard again. I got up Saturday morning and could not hardly breathe, pushing that stupid mower all around my yard. Finally, my neighbor came over, and he said, hey, I saw your new mower. I said, yeah, stupid thing. He said, I just wondered, can I borrow it? I'm thinking about buying a new one, and I like that one a lot. I said, sure. Well, he starts the thing up. He's mowing the front yard, whistling, every now and then one hand in it, you know, just, it's fine. And I thought, man, he's, he's 20 years older than me. What is wrong with me? And he finally got done, and I said, Thanks, Matt. He had washed it all off, and he brought it back. He said, man, what an amazing mower. The easiest mow I've ever had. And finally, I just was feeling like the biggest weakling in the world. And I said, Matt, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I think physically something's wrong with me because it is killing me. And he said, well, maybe you're doing something wrong. And I thought, well, how hard can it be? It's a mower, right? He said, let me walk you through it. Hit the start button. There's a little start button. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Pull the string. Yep, pull it. Starts right up. Start right up. Push the, push the self-propulsion bar. Push the, the self-pro-what? <laughs> yeah, well, John, there's a bar right here. You just pull this little bar, and it propels itself. You're not trying to mow the yard with a mower that propels itself and pushing through the gears, are you? <laughs> Apparently, that's what I've been doing. I pushed that bar. And in, this mo- and in that moment, had this epiphany that I've been doing it wrong. That this thing that was meant for one thing, I had been using in a totally different way. 
I tell you that story this morning because I'm praying for you, and I've been praying for you all week, that maybe something in this message today would make you have that same epiphany. That all the things that you've thought about religion and church, that you would hear the words of Jesus today and you would go, oh. See, at this point in history, we, when we start this story in John chapter 14, 6, Jesus came to earth and he came to a, a culture that believed about God, something that our culture believes about God. That the number one thing you need to do between you and God is to make him happy. It's to please him. And good luck with that. Because, man, talk about giving a gift to the guy who owns everything, right? How are you going to please God? And throughout history, the ancient religion started in this way. I don't know if you know this, but religion started in this way. Man decided that he needed to make his own food. He needed crops. And he started planting food and soon realized that he wasn't in control of most of the things that came with built, making your own food, with, with growing your own food. He wasn't in charge of the sunlight. and He wasn't in charge of the water. So he began to look to the sky and think someone else might be in charge, must be in charge. So then he, he created a God of the rain and a God of the sun and a God of the earth and all of these different gods. And in his life, he would realize, well, I need to keep these gods happy. I need to keep them on my side. So I'll start sacrificing things into them. And the problem is you never could sacrifice enough to the gods. You could sacrifice all you wanted. And this is how child sacrifice came about in our culture. It's not as far away from your life as you might think. Because this desperation to keep the gods happy continued when Yahweh hit the scene. When the Israelites, when, when God rescued them out of Egypt and it became clear that uh, there was a God and there was a one God and the culture around them started thinking, how do you keep this one Yahweh, this one God happy? What do you have to sacrifice? How do you have to do this? What can you do? And I'm going to be talking about this over the next few months. What can you do to keep this God happy? And here was the answer. Nothing. He's already happy. This God is already on your side. This God who owns everything. I don't need a God of the earth and a God of the sun and a God of the light. This is the God of everything. And this God, I don't have to try to keep on my side. This God, he's already on my side. And what it did is it created a movement. It created a movement of people who spent less time being desperate to keep the gods on their side and more time living a life that was just thankful he was already on their side. And it began to change the world. Jesus called it the way. Do you know that the first people that followed Jesus weren't called Christians? They didn't call themselves Christians. Jesus never used the term Christian. And the people who originally followed him didn't use the term Christian. In fact, there were, every time people used the word Christian for, in the next couple hundred years, they kind of had some stank on it, you know, Christian, which still happens in our culture, by the way. Jesus didn't call himself a Christian, people Christians. What he called them is followers of the way. This group of people who were living a different kind of life, living a life based on believing that the God is already pleased already on their side, and that their role is to live a different kind of life, to draw other people around to that one God. That is a new movement when Jesus comes. And so in John chapter 14, John is asked, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And why, what, what is your role in pleasing God? And Jesus says this, Jesus answered, I am the way that is in Greek, that is the sense of I am the right way to do life. I am the truth, and I am the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in Acts chapter 24, you can see throughout history, Paul, this is a whole other sermon, but Paul um, was um, on trial for what he believes. And here's what he says. Here's what he calls himself. He admits that he is a follower of Jesus, and he doesn't call himself a Christian. He says, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. Man, what a cool thing. I would love for you today. I've been praying it all week. I would love for you today to think about the way that you follow Jesus. Not as a religion, not as something you do in these blue pews. In fact, the people who were first followers of the way, the first group of people, guys like Paul that we just read about, he would have wondered what in the world you're doing today, sitting in rows. Because they might have worshipped in the synagogue, but church to them wasn't in rows, it was in circles. They got together and they studied and they, and they fixed each other's gutters. They probably weren't gutters, but they fixed each other's problems. They, if somebody needed food, they gave them food. This isn't church to Paul. This isn't a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with this, but don't get confused that this is a follower of the way. All this does is bring clarity like we talked about so that you can leave this place and be a follower of the way. Don't think for a second that a follower of the way sits in a pew on Sundays and waits for the next Sunday. Jesus begins to unveil a whole bunch of tenets, a whole bunch of things that are what it means to be followers of the way, a whole bunch of things that maybe you've never heard before or maybe you've never heard in this way. I just put a few of them up here. This is by no means an exhaustive one, but I've been studying this for a while. And, and these are some of the things that Jesus unearths, and he begins to say, this is what I mean by being a follower of the way. He says, joy and peace doesn't come the way the world thinks it does. It doesn't come when your circumstances are right. If you follow the way, if you put trust in the God who is already on your side, you could have a contentment that isn't dependent on your circumstances. See, followers of the way aren't happy because they have money in their bank account. Followers of the way aren't happy because no one has died or because their health is great. Followers of the way have a peace that undergirds no matter what comes in your life. If you've heard the, the term peace that passes on understanding, maybe there's a little twinge in your heart when you hear that because you've been a Christian your whole life and you never experienced it and you've pretended you have. It's happened to me. I'll never forget the first time I heard somebody say, peace that passes all understanding, everyone who's a Christian has one. And I said, nah, uh because I remember being baptized, and I'm trying this thing, and I don't have peace. I was dealing with anxiety so bad at that point. And it made me feel like I was missing something. And the truth is I was. I was coming to church on Sunday hoping that I would get peace when I left. And all it did was make me clear for a moment. And by the time I got to Walmart, I was right back to where I was. And the, real, the, the, the uh, reality of it is, it's not this that brings you peace. It's not sitting in a blue pew on Sunday mornings that brings you peace that passes all understanding. It's following the way. It's engaging in the Creator and finding joy that is not dependent on your circumstances. Jesus talks about faith, and He talks about it differently. He says, I want you to have faith, and not just faith that I believe there is a God. That's not faith to Jesus. Faith to Jesus was, I believe there is a God, and I believe that what He says He wants me to do in my life is the best thing for me to do. I will make decisions based on what God has said is best for me. That's what faith is to Jesus. And it turns the world upside down. Self-control, I'm disciplined not to trade the immediate for the ultimate. That's a whole sermon. And if you're a high school kid or a college kid, you know what your mom, your grandmama wants most for you? Wants for you not to trade the immediate feeling of something for the ultimate problem that it causes. Jesus said it's possible 
if you're a follower of the way, if you tune into the fact that your job in life is not to just get up in the morning and see how you can keep God, from, keep God happy today, but it's responding to the fact that He is already on your side in a way that changes the way people think about Him because of your life. Humility, I see you as my peer. Gentleness, our relationship. Jesus would show over and over that our relationship is more important than how impressed you are by me. This is big. Patience. My son, Reese, is nine, and he's the most slow-moving thing I've ever seen. And I'm, you can tell by the way I talk. I'm fast. I'm always doing something. I'm multitasking. And Reese is third time I've asked him to put his shoes on. And he's still trying to get the first one untied, you know? And he drives me up a wall with it. The other thing about Reese is he's got a little bit of a speech impediment. And for a guy who speaks for a living, I sometimes just want to say, say it. That's as more honest than I want to be. It makes me emotional to say it. But here's the thing about patience. Patience in the world is just like, I'll wait for a little bit. Patience to Jesus was looking somebody in the eye and realizing you're worth waiting on. When I started thinking about the way Jesus was patient with me, when I think about the people in your life right now, maybe you've got a son or a daughter or a grandkid, Maybe you've got a friend in your life who's going down the wrong path and you just want to strangle them. That's what the world does. That's what people who aren't followers of the way do. They want to lecture them. They want to talk to them. They want to yell at them. They want to punish them. They want to beat them until they get it right. But the truth is, followers of the way step back and realize that person is worth waiting on and they're not in charge of whether or not they're following the right way anyway. Kindness. Jesus, over and over, as, a, as an example of what the way is, would walk up to somebody and would loan him his strength. You know what kindness to the world is? It's doing something nice for somebody. And then on the way home going, man, wasn't I great? And boy, I better, I, I hope they send me a letter so I can take that off my taxes, you know? That's the way the world thinks of kindness, doing something nice for somebody. Jesus teaches something different about kindness. Now, Christians, Christians, people who come to church on Sundays... I, I separate them from followers of the way. Because you can be a Christian and not a follower. Absolutely. You know them. Don't poke anybody. You can be a Christian and not be a follower. Christians often are more concerned with religion and how things look than they are with how things actually work in the world and how they treat the people around them. Jesus said, kindness is not just about doing something good for somebody. Kindness is about giving them something with no strings attached. No reason. Absolutely nothing in, in return. And then he has this thing that, in English, we call it love and compassion. And, and I don't like to talk about the Greek much because it makes it feel like you can't read your English Bible. You absolutely can, and it's amazing. But sometimes in Greek, there's words over and over that are used that are different. There's lots of words for love in Greek and lots of words for compassion. But there's this one that's my favorite that describes Jesus when he is, if you remember the story of Jesus praying over Jerusalem, um, when he looks out over a whole group of people that's kind of his peeps, um, and they're broken and they're falling, and he starts to cry. Um, when he cries over Lazarus, the, small, the shortest piece of scripture in the Bible, Jesus wept. The word is, I'm going to spit. I did this to you first service. I'm going to stand over here. I'm going to spit if I do this. The word is gross. It's splach. Nah. Yeah, sounds like I coughed up something, doesn't it? And there's very, very good reason for that. Because the word splachna is a medical word. It's used, it literally means guts. It means deep down guts. The thing about Jesus is he didn't feel sorry for people. You know what feel sorry for people is? 
It's driving by when they're holding a cardboard sign that says, we'll work for food, and you go, hmm, boy, I feel sorry for them, and you drive by and go, probably going to buy booze anyway. That's feeling sorry for someone. Feeling sorry for someone is watching a television show, Compassion International comes up, and you go, oh, those poor kids, and a tear comes down your eye. That's feeling sorry for somebody. The world does that. Not, not a big deal for followers of the way. That's table stakes. Jesus said, followers of the way, they have spachna. And that is, in your gut, something is wrong. When you see someone else broken, it's as though your own life is turned upside down. When Jesus felt compassion for someone, he felt their pain as though it was his. And you know what, that, what, does, what, that, what happens when that does? When, when you feel someone else's pain as though it's yours, you've got to do something about it. You can't just say, oh boy, those poor people. Because if it's your pain, if it's actually turning your stomach like splachna, compassion, it causes you to do something. And you know what? That splachna is why you're sitting here today. Obviously, the love that Jesus had for you was part of it. But the other thing is, the early Christians, the followers of the way, they understood that this was the basic tenet of following Jesus, that this was the biggest commandment of following Jesus. And so you know what happened? The Romans, who were their arch nemesis, the Romans would, would uh, during a plague, happened three or four times in history, that during a plague, you can imagine how awful it would be when there was a lot of medical attention, all of this contagious disease would be in a community, and these, these uh, Romans would kick their babies out on the street because the babies were the first ones to get them, and their immune systems weren't right, and they would cause the rest of the family to get them. If you had a baby who had one of these diseases during the plague, you were, the baby was going to die, and so were you if you were a parent. So they would literally leave babies on street corners. It was a terrible time in history. And guess who in the midst of that time took those babies in? It wasn't the medical people. It wasn't the politicians. It wasn't the rich people. It was the followers of the way. They came out of their home. And they took babies who were diseased and they brought them back into their home. And the reason wasn't because they felt sorry for the baby. You know how many people walked by that baby and felt sorry for it? The reason was because they had something deeper. They were followers of the way who understood splachna. And that baby hurt, and they hurt with it. And they took those babies into their homes, and they died with those babies in their homes. And the world began to see these people are different. How about you? I'm not asking you to take a sick baby in your home today. I'm just asking you to treat the lady in the third cubicle over a little better than everyone else does. To see the pain in her life differently. To feel what she feels. i got to get moving. You guys are going to miss lunch. The thing Jesus did over and over and over again in life, well, in his three years of ministry that we have chronicled, and by the way, we don't have very much of what he did. All, but we can see every time that Jesus made contact with somebody, he did something that I'm, I think you're called to do and I'm called to do today. And is every time you come in contact with somebody, you elevate them. You take them from where they are and you just raise them up a little bit. Every time Jesus ran into women in that culture, he raised them up. At one point, the disciples said, hey, get these stupid kids away from Jesus. You know, at that point, you didn't name your kid until they were five years old because they probably wouldn't live and you didn't want to get too attached. That's how they felt about kids. And if you were a man, you felt like your kids were your property. And 
the disciples said, hey, get these stupid things away from Jesus. And Jesus goes, hang on, wait. Bring them to me. In fact, put them in the front. And then he looks at him and he says something. This is the kind of thing that got Jesus killed in the end. Jesus said, in fact, you men who think you're better than the women, who think you're bigger and stronger than these kids, you're all going to hell unless you're like them. You want to be where God is? You be like these kids. To us, it, we, we paint pictures and put it in our children's ministry here, and we go, ah, to that point, that got Jesus killed. Jesus elevated everyone around him, minorities, the oppressed, tax collectors, political leaders, sick people, sinners of all kinds. Jesus, every time he walked into somebody's life, he elevated them. To give you an example, a immediate example today of what a follower of the way was intended to be. Jesus came to earth not to make a point. Jesus didn't come to earth to be right. Man, I just got here. You guys are going to kick me out of here, some of you. Jesus didn't come to earth to carry a picket sign, to write on Facebook that he disagrees with the political climate or people that he doesn't believe with. Jesus didn't come to be right. He didn't come to make a point. He didn't come to win an argument. And believe it or not, he didn't come to force a belief. He didn't come to force people to believe in him. He could have done that a million times during his, his ministry, and he did not. The reason Jesus came was to let people know that God was on their side and to elevate humans. And this became the tenet that drove the followers of the way. Not church. Not serving. The thing that drove the tenets of the followers of the way wasn't Bible study. All of those things you need to be doing. But not to gain the love or the respect or to get God on your side. He's already on your side. What a waste. What a waste for how many churches are in Bloomington today that came to church to get God on their side and God's going, I'm already on your side. You guys are wasting your time. Now go follow the way. Go find people who are broken. Go find people who are oppressed. You want to know what God's doing in this community? You don't need a mission statement. You don't need a vision statement. You don't need a committee to decide where the church is going. I can tell you right now what God is doing in this community. While we sit in blue pews right now, God is downtown. He's here too with us. But you want to know what he's doing in terms of ministry. He is downtown with people who you pass on a daily basis and feel like they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't think like you, they don't vote like you. And so instead of splachna, you come and you sit in a blue chair and you think this is following the way. This is not following the way. I'm so excited to get a chance over the next three months. Unless you don't let me come back. To share with you how wonderful it is to be a part of the way. Not a church. You want a church? There are 340 in Bloomington. Oh, hang on. One just popped up. 341. Church is nothing in Bloomington. Followers of the way? That will change this culture. Change the world once and it will change the world again. I'm just now getting to my sermon. I'm going to go real quick on this. You've got to hear this. Jesus did this. He wanted to show over and over. I could have picked 15 different stories that Jesus 
uh, where he elevated somebody. But this one is my favorite for a few reasons, and it might step on some toes. Um, John chapter 4, verse 3. If you remember, um, in John chapter 3, verse 16, you all know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for who, who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That sounds like something our kids say. We say it really quickly. We know it really. Most of you, if you've been in church, you know that scripture really well. At that time in history, that was revolutionary to think that God was already on your side and all you had to do was believe. Wait a minute, but what do I have to sacrifice? Nothing. There was already a sacrifice and God did it. See, the, the story of God wasn't about what you do for him. It's what he did for you. And everything else is your response. And it was revolutionary. And Jesus had to show people what he meant. He had to show people what it feels like. My dad is so good at this. My dad, Ken, he was here at the first service. Some of you know him. So good at this, of being a guy who has splock now. You know, when I go down to Target, I try not to go to Walmart, but if I find myself at Walmart or Target or Kroger, I'm one of those guys that, if I'm in a hurry, I'm like the look down the aisle and like duck when you see somebody. You, know, you say, oh boy, that's five minutes, you know. Oh, can't do that. That's 12 minutes, you know. And then you start choosing things based on who's down the aisle. My dad's the exact opposite. He's retired and he's so close to God that if you, sit, if you stand here with him and tell him something you're struggling with, he'll be crying by the time he's done with it because he is just so connected with Swakna, and he'll, he, he'll walk down a Walmart aisle, and don't go with him if you're in a hurry. He'll be praying with somebody in the toilet paper aisle every time. When he goes to Walmart, here's what my dad does. I love this. You know when you go to Walmart, and you're like, honey, I'm going to Walmart. You need anything? Here's what my dad does on the way to Walmart. God, I'm going to Walmart. What can I do? Who's already there that needs prayer? How can I do something how can I say something? How can I engage that lady behind the counter at Walmart in a way that elevates her? What can I say, God? What can I do? He stands in line, and while everybody else is standing in line going, oh, he's going, God, what can I say? God, how can I elevate her? You know what he doesn't think much about? Politics. You know what he doesn't care much about? Who's the president? I mean, he talks about it, and but in the long run, he knows where his hope stands. This is the kind of life that's available to us as Christians. And if we're, if we're coming to church on Sundays and we expect something different and all we do is come to church and show up the next Sunday, we're pushing a lawnmower that's meant to be propelled in a way that it was never intended to be. Jesus, John chapter 4. John says this about Jesus. He says he left Judea where he was doing a bunch of ministry, just finding people nobody wanted to talk to, nobody wanted to touch. Leprosy was a big deal and everybody had diseases and nobody wanted to touch. And Jesus could have healed them with his hand a long way away from them. And instead he put his fingers in people's eyes who had leprosy to show people that this is what he expected from followers of the way. And he goes down, at, um, John, in ch John chapter 4 verse 3 says he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. And I put a picture up here because I wanted you to see this. And he says he had to go through Samaria. Um, so he was in Jerusalem, which he spent a lot of time in, and he was going to Nazareth, which he spent a lot of time in. And John said he had to go through Samaria, but the truth is, not just that he, ha he had to because he wanted to. It was in him. But the truth is, all the rabbis at the time would not go through Samaria because they didn't believe what Jesus believed. They looked different, they talked different, they believed different, they were sinners, and they were messed up, and the rabbis and the good people wouldn't go through Samaria. They would actually cut through, and this is what rabbis and, and church people would do, they would go through Judea, they would cut across the Jordan River, they would go up through Perea, up through the Decapolis, and around Samaria, and go out of their way not to talk to people who didn't look, act, feel the way they felt. Jesus, guess what he did? You've been asleep if you don't know the answer. 
Jesus went, had to go, because followers of the way have to go. There's something in them that says, somebody needs me. Intentionally, followers of the way, intentionally cross lives with people who don't look, talk, think, believe, or behave the way they do. Nobody got up and left when I said that. Church all over Bloomington is teaching the opposite. Churches all over Bloomington are saying, they're awful, they're awful, they're awful. Keep your kids away from them and stay away from them. Jesus said, you walk through them. If you're a follower of the way, you look for reasons to be around people who don't think, act, feel the way you do. If you're bored as a Christian and you are going around Samaria in your life, no wonder. No wonder. Because it was never what it was intended to be. Jesus ends up in John chapter 4, and I don't need to go through this whole story. You know the woman at the well story. Jesus finds not only a person in Samaria who is um, thought of to be the kind of person Jesus doesn't want to hang around with, but a woman in Samaria. And she is far from God. She is far from community. She ends up meeting at noon at the well. Jesus is at the well. No, nobody goes to the well at noon unless you are outcast of society. Everybody goes in the evening when it's cool because it's too hot during the day. She wasn't allowed in the evening. She had to go during the day, and guess who met her there? You guessed it. The leader of the way. To show his disciples and to show you today that we go through. The problem is self-righteousness. And self-righteousness has made Jesus as mad as anything we see in Scripture. You know what self-righteousness is? It's that thing that believes that you're better, that you're gooder than someone else for any reason. Made Jesus matter than anything else. He called it hypocrisy when it happened with re- religious people. Self-righteousness made Jesus as mad as any other sin that he witnessed while he was on the earth. And I know I'm going long, but this is the next sentence may be just for you today. It is ignorant. It is naive. And it is sinful. To speak about people who don't talk the way you do, look the way you do, think the way you do, or believe the way you do in a way that doesn't elevate them. No matter how far you think your life is from theirs, it is sinful, it is ignorant, and it is pushing the world away from the only thing they need, which is God. Man, it got quiet in here. You know what I don't understand? One of the things I don't understand in my life about church, I, I mentioned in the first service there was a lot of white hair in the service, and people kind of took that a little derogatory. They laughed af- afterwards and said, what do you mean white hair? Well, man, I, I respect those of you that have been around, especially through a hard time here at North, at North Side, and you've stayed. Those of you who have been Christians longer than I've been alive, been in the church longer than I've been around. But here's what I don't understand. There are some Christians, some people who are following the way that the older they get, the grumpier they get. And I don't get it. Seems to me like the older you get, the longer you've been with Jesus, the more you've been following the way, and the more compassion you would have, the more patience you would have, the more kindness you would have, the more patience you would be. Instead, what happens is, and here's where I think the line happens, we come to church and all of a sudden, following the way doesn't matter anymore. It's just about church. And when I come to church, I can be as grumpy as anybody. Church can make me grumpy. Church, if all it is is church, I'll be grumpy. Because here's what I do. I come in and I go, what do you got for me today, preacher? What are you going to tell me today? Oh, who's singing today? Oh, that song, and oh, that was too loud. And oh, I can't believe that. And we get grumpy. 
And we forget, we call that Christianity. It's not, it never was. But my grandmother was here first service. She's 85 years old. Not grumpy. She's a follower of the way. When things get hard, when things get rough, when I've done something awful, guess who I go to? My mom. Because I know there's not judgment there. Because the closer she walks with Jesus, the more she feels like him. Those of you who are older, you know who you are. I'm not looking at anybody. Please, in this next three months here at Northside, we need you desperately. This community needs you. Not just to make decisions, not just to teach, not to, but to show us what a follower of the way looks like. The compassion, the gentleness, the spirit. If you're here today and you feel like you're retiring as a Christian, you're in the wrong place. Over the next three months, we want you to dig in. We want you to get excited, and we desperately need you to help us to lead the way as we follow Jesus. Band, you guys can come up. I'm going to make the children's minister so mad today. My first Sunday here. Every week at the end of my sermon, um, you can go on to that last slide, that today slide there, Ron. Every week at the end of my sermon, I have one slide that says today. Because I want the rubber to meet the road. And if I've messed something up in the midst of all this, I want to leave you with this. Today, choose a different way. Choose a different way. If you look beside you and your neighbors are struggling with peace and they're not following the way and you're struggling with peace and you're supposed to be following the way, notice there's something available to you that you haven't tapped into would you choose the way today stop talking it's really easy to say for the guy who just preached for 40 minutes stop talking and do something if you feel like you're shut in you can't get out of your house would you would you make yourself available at the end of the service for people who have met somebody at Walmart that they've got a name for and you can pray fervently and I don't mean before you go to bed or before you eat but you be on your knees as much as you can possibly be we need you elevate that's it when you drive away from here today the next person that you come in contact with God is calling you to do this elevate not to judge not to wonder if they believe what you believe Not to look at them kind of sideways. That makes you grumpy. Just elevate it. Let God do the rest. I'm so excited to be here. We want to give you a chance today. If God has done something in your heart to come up, we had some people come up on the stage. I love making this a place where you can pray. If God's done something in you today, I'm going to be up here. I can promise you I'm going to be on my knees up here. If you want to come up, I'd love to pray with you. The elders will come too. We'll give you a chance right now to sing this song right to God this morning and maybe you need to choose today to say God I'm going to re-up as a follower of the way would you stand and sing with us